Hello friends, welcome to another episode of Bat Flips and Maple Dips. This is season two, episode 30. You're probably noticing that Clayton isn't doing the intro today. Uh, he is on the injured list for maybe it's like the second or third time this season. Um, he had a bad sandwich at lunch and he's a little bit about the food poisoning. I'm not sure if that's just an excuse for uh, recovering from his bachelor party on the weekend. But uh, either way, Clayton should be back next week. Uh, we took a vacation last week for the first time in BFMB history. It was the first time in a year and a half that we hadn't released an episode uh, in a week. It was a great break. Uh, we have a special guest on the line today. Joining us is Barry Davis. So Barry is the founder of No Suit Required Media, where he hosts the Out of the Park podcast and covers that covers the Blue Jays. He used to work for Rogers Sportsnet as a reporter, where he was part of the Blue Jays broadcast team during their 2015 and 16 playoff runs. And when he's not talking Jays or on the radio, you can find Barry performing in the GTA with his Tom Petty tribute band, We Ain't Petty. So thanks for joining us, Barry. It's a pleasure to have you here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be on with you guys. Uh, love the name of the podcast, by the way. <laughs> thanks. And uh, I would, I'd love to head out to either Saskatoon or, or somewhere in Nova Scotia and do some gigs out there as well. Yeah, no kidding. We've got, a, we've got a great local music scene out here in Saskatoon, and I know Patrick's talked about Halifax before, so I'm sure you'd have some opportunities. Yeah, Halifax is wonderful. I've been there many times. <laughs> Perfect. Um, I mean, let's let's just jump right into some Blue Jays talk. Kind of what what's been your impression of this uh, whole season, Barry, as a whole? I mean, there's been a ton of roster turnover. Justin Smoke seems to be the only guy left that anybody uh, really knows. <laughs> so, I mean, what's been the what's been your thoughts watching this team kind of change over the course of the season? Well, I went into the beginning of this season with very low expectations because I knew that this was you know, the year that they were going to start and continue tearing down. I shouldn't say start because they'd already started, you know, the the rebuild. But I knew the rebuild was going to come to a complete, uh, you know, thing this this summer. And they pretty much did that. And as you mentioned, Justin Smoke's the only one that's still there. Uh, I, I did not expect, well, I was hopeful, but I, I'm a little bit surprised at how quickly the kids are coming along offensively. And I'm referring specifically to... Bobachet and Vladimir Guerrero and, and Lourdes Goriel and Kevin Biggio. I mean, these guys have all done such a, a really, really good job uh, quicker than we ever expected them to. And the pitching is pretty much what I expected it to be. With uh, <laughs> these young pitchers, you have nights where you think they're going to be phenomenal, and then the next night they get rocked. And that's that's just a typical thing. It takes pitching a little longer to develop than offense. For sure. I mean, we, we saw Sean Reed Foley get pretty roughed up last night in L.A. against a really good Dodger team. But we also saw a guy like Bo Bichette hit two home runs off of a future Hall of Famer in Clayton Kershaw. Bo Bichette, I mean, Patrick has a couple questions he wants to ask you about that. So I'm going to turn the mic over to him here, too. Hey, man. Um, how incredible has Bo Bichette been since he debuted? Um, he's He's only played 21 games, but he's already seemingly made a phenomenal impact on the team. So what's your perception of Bichette and what do you think he brings to the team uh, besides the uh, beautiful mane of hair? Oh, he's got wonderful hair. The, The Jays may be one of the worst teams in the American League, but I think they do have the best collective hair. In the American League, so I'll give him that. You know, I had a chance to watch Bo play live last year when he was in New Hampshire. And watching him then in double-A, I'm thinking, this kid is going to fast-track it to the majors. And I was a little surprised that it took so long for them to call him up. My thinking was, well, he's not up because of, you know, his clock. 
mm -hmm. they didn't want to start his clock. And I have a feeling if the management didn't get so, uh, you know, destroyed by the fan base, <laughs> the dwindling fan base, they may have left him down there to avoid having to have his clock start. But they eventually had to succumb and make sure that he was up with this team. And it was uh, it was great to see him come up. And unlike Vladdy, who took some time to get things going, Bo just came in, you know, guns a blazing, and he was firing right from the beginning. And there's really been no letdown. And now there's going to come a time he's going to go through an 0 for 10 or maybe an 0 for 20. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't happen this year, it's going to happen at some point in his career. But all the tools this kid has, uh, I think the sky's the limit. In fact, I would not be surprised to see Bo Bichette have a longer and more uh, successful career than Vladimir Guerrero. I think Vladdy's going to do some very impactful things. And he may, you know, his big things might outshine the Bo big things. But I think as far as your complete ball player and everything Bo can do, I think Bo's going to end up being a better all-around player. But to have those two guys as the foundation of your team moving forward for, you know, if you're the Jays, hopefully the next five, six, seven years, uh, that's really good. And the future is looking very bright. For sure. Yeah, I totally <laughs> agree on that. We actually... We've been talking a lot on our podcast about our the players that we have in the minor league system, uh, particularly the ones we just acquired from all the trades. Uh, recently, we've seen AAA pitchers like uh, TJ Zook. I'm yeah, TJ Zook, yep. Zook uh, yep. and Nate Pearson uh, step up with Buffalo. Uh, Nate just had his uh, Buffalo debut a couple of days ago, uh, and TJ threw a no-hitter, uh, which is really really hard to do in triple a especially with the the uh the fact that they're using the mlb ball which may or may not be <laughs> juiced um, yeah but, <laughs> what should jays fans know about upcoming pitchers that will put their mind at ease about having a weak rotation uh as it stands today well i think that the fans are going to be pleasantly surprised with how deep the system actually is with pitching and I think that's been the biggest concern. Well, who's going to pitch for this team? Because they're seeing guys that are coming in and out of the rotation and someone like a Jacob Waggis pack, whom the Jays got for Aaron Loop, which turned out to be a pretty darn good deal. And Sean Reed Foley and the inconsistencies with him. But of all the kids they have, and you know, you count those two, and then you know, you throw into the mix Ryan Barucki, who's been unfortunately hurt mm. for a big chunk of the year, plus the kids down in, in Buffalo right now. And then you throw in a Trent Thornton, you know, if, if two of those kids turn out to be major league ready and can be productive next year for the Blue Jays, then you hopefully get Matt Shoemaker healthy again. And then you add in someone via either free agency or trade. The Jays can have a pretty decent starting rotation. And I think that as surprised as, as most of us are that the offense is clicking as quickly as it did, I think the management is just as surprised. And <laughs> if they think that the Blue Jays have a chance to compete for a wild card spot next year, we shall see them make some moves because they have tons of money. Yeah. I mean, the, the Blue Jays payroll is as low as it's been in a long, long time, especially now that you have big contracts like Tulowitzki and, uh, and Russell Martin off the books and, you know, Josh Donaldson's gone and all these big contracts are gone. Uh, you know, Randall Gritchett's probably one of the highest paid players on the team right now. So I think that they definitely have room in the budget to add, but they don't want to add until they know that, 
you know, the rest of the players are going to be ready. And so far it's looking like they're ready, but there, there are so many options down between what's here now with the team, what's in the minors and what's on the injured list. Cause don't forget that, you know, Ryan Barucki was phenomenal last season and we were really looking forward to seeing what he could do this year. And he didn't have much of an opportunity because of injuries. And Matt Shoemaker, who was having one of his best years in a long time before his season end with a freak injury. So mm-hmm. I think that the pitching is going to be better than we expected it to be next year. Yeah, I mean, you talked about the abundance of payroll, payroll dollars that they're going to have available to them if the management team is, is to be believed. So when Mark Shapiro kind of chatted with the media a few weeks ago, he talked about how he knows how losing isn't fun and that the Jays are going to, quote-unquote, push the envelope as much as possible to win sooner. The, the three of us here on BFMD are pretty divided when it comes to our opinions of uh, Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins. I mean, what's what's your opinion on what they've done with this rebuild? You you talked about how they're probably as surprised as we are about the offense, yeah. but what's your overarching uh, opinion? I am on the fence with these two guys and i'll tell you why it's not a good because, answer barry <laughs> yeah and, I, and i'll tell you why because when you look at the moves they've made yeah some of them you can look back on and go what were they thinking i mean letting edwin go and that whole you know kerfuffle with yeah. him which was the fault of them and edwin and his team um you know the timing of the josh donaldson trade mm. which in some ways i don't really blame them because they figured that they were going to get a healthy Josh Donaldson and it wasn't going to end up being the way it was. And like even the trade that they made, like I was very critical of the move they made when they sent Aaron Sanchez and Joe Biagini to Houston (laughs) for Derek Fisher, because it seemed like a pretty big haul to get, you know, a, a guy who's hitting barely 200. Well, now you see Aaron Sanchez after that, you know, being part of that no hitter, He's had two really rough starts. In fact, last night he got injured and is now on the injured list. Joe Biagini's been sent down to AAA. And Derek Fisher's hitting home runs for the Blue Jays. Now, Derek Fisher has also taken a fly ball off the face and misplayed another fly Mm -hmm. ball. And his OPS is still only like seven-something. And he's hitting just above 200. So he's a home run or nothing type of guy. And that's always been his MO. And my thinking is, what's the difference between him and, say, a Billy McKinney? Right. And if there, if there is no difference, then why did you go all out on a guy like Derek Fisher? It's still too small of a, a sample size for me to make a full judgment on the trade. I mean, with any of these trades, you really have to give it some time to see how it turns out. It's looking like the return they got on Marcus Stroman is, is going to be pretty good. And Anthony Kay could be ready to join the Blue Jays very soon. So there have been a lot of moves that they've made that... I think have turned out pretty good or on the verge of turning out good. My biggest issue with those two is their lack of engagement, not only with the fan base, but with their own players. Uh, when you hear someone like a Bo Bichette being down in the minors saying, I don't know what else I have to do. If there's something else they need me to do, I wish they would tell me. <laughs> well, he should be well aware of that. Are all the things with Marcus Stroman. Now, a lot of what Marcus Stroman says, I take with a grain of salt too, because Marcus is all about Marcus. He's always been all about Marcus. But if he truly is telling the truth, now someone's lying. Either he's lying about the fact that there were talks or the management's lying and there were no talks. So if Marcus Stroman was indeed telling the truth, and that's another example of how this team is not 
you know, these, these guys in the front office are not being completely honest with their players. So, uh, like I said, so that, that's what puts me on the fence. I think what they're doing from a baseball perspective, while it took a while for us to kind of get it, because they don't articulate that very well to the fans. And I mean, these are the people that put the put you know money in their pockets. But at the end of the day, the fan base, how as nice as it is, is not where these baseball teams get the biggest source of income. Right. They get their biggest sources of income through TV revenue and from revenue sharing. So that's a problem with baseball right now because that's why the Tampa Bay Rays are still floating around and drawing eight or 9,000 fans a game because they don't need to sell seats. Right. Yeah, I know. It's, it's unfortunate. I mean, I want to talk a little bit more about, about this whole uh, management deal. I mean, back to the Fisher trade, too. You, you mentioned Sanchez and Biagini, but they threw Cal Stevenson in there, too, who was – I'm a I'm a pretty oh, yeah. big fan of our minor league system. I follow the minors mm-hmm. quite a bit, and he was one of our better hitting outfield prospects, let alone prospects in general. And that's an area that the Jays are pretty pretty soft in. So mm-hmm. to to have to yeah. throw him in the trade too, that's a little bit crazy. Right, and and the thing is, if you had just traded him for Derek Fisher, even that I would say, oh, well, that's a lot <laughs> to give up for Derek Fisher. Yeah, right. But they gave up him, and they gave up Biagini, and they gave up Aaron Sanchez. Now. Uh, we may look at this trade in a couple of years and say, well, thank God they found someone to take Aaron Sanchez. Right. Right. Um, they found someone to take Roberto Osuna and they turned that into Derek Giles. Right. Yeah. They turned uh, Liriano into Teoscar Hernandez. True. And a lot of, you know, so that there were, there were a number of moves. They also are the ones who, who uh, signed Lourdes Goriel. They're the ones who drafted Bo Bichette and Kevin Biggio. And that's not to take anything away from Alex Anthopoulos because he had a lot, large part to do with Vladimir Guerrero. Right. And it was actually Alex's uh, staff that recommended the Blue Jays and the new people in charge uh, select Bo Bichette in the draft because Shapiro and Atkins weren't really sold on him. Yeah, I remember. But it was that. it was Alex's uh, staff that said, "Listen, you got to pick this guy up." So, um, but like anybody, right? I mean, everybody thought out. There's it's 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 funny. I always compare it to people that either uh, support Donald Trump or they hate him. There's no <laughs> in-between, right? You either love him or hate him. Yeah. And that's especially here. I don't know what it's like where you guys are, but I know in, in the GTA, there is no in-between with Atkins and Shapiro. You either love him or you hate him. And there's no nobody's budging from side to side, and there doesn't seem to be any in-between. And if you hate Shapiro and Atkins, it's because you love Alex. And if you love Shapiro and Atkins, it's because you hate Alex. Right. And it's, uh, there's, 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 it's all black and white with the fans out here. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's true for Jays fans all across the country. Um, you you mentioned Anthopolis, so it's probably a good time to talk about those the old glory days, the old 2015 and 16 mm-hmm. playoff runs that seem like a distant memory. Um, as a as a Saskatchewan Roughrider fan and a Toronto Maple Leafs fan, I know all about losing. <laughs> but <laughs> those those two years of of uh, Blue Jay success were definitely. I, I mean, I was born in '93, so I was about six months old when they won the World Series for the last time. Oh, poor you! So I uh, those two years, other than the Roy Holiday years, were the best years to be a Jays fan. Um, other than now, really, with the future looking so bright. But talk. Let's talk a little bit about those years because you you had a front row seat for that team. Uh, what was the sort of the mentality in that locker room and kind of the mood around around the whole organization in general in those seasons? Well, it's funny because in the 2015 season, uh, up until the trade deadline, things were not looking good. Mm-hmm. The attendance was starting to lack. There was just this 
just this cloud hanging over the organization. <laughs> I know players like Jose Reyes were just almost checked out. Right. He was injured. He just didn't seem to be really that into what was going on with the team. Uh, people were calling for John Gibbons to be fired. People were calling for Alex Anthopoulos to be fired. And this was, you know, year three in what was a series of bad years after the Jays made these huge deals heading into mm-hmm. the 2013 season that had Las Vegas putting the Jays <laughs> as the odds-on favorites to win the World Series, and they completely tanked. And then, you know, somehow things completely turned around. And I remember at the end of July, heading into the trade deadline, the Jays were, I think they were 500, and they were eight and a half games out of first place. And then the trade started to happen. And the game that David Price pitched, his first game as a Toronto Blue Jay, I remember it so well, it was a Sunday afternoon against the Kansas City Royals. And the reaction that he got and... You know, the way the Blue Jays responded and there was a, you know, a little dust up between Aaron Sanchez and one of the Kansas City Royals. And it just said something it was like, whoa, <laughs> something's going on here. And then as the weeks went on, that empty Rogers Center got busier and busier and louder and louder. And by the time we were in September, it felt just incredible. The atmosphere was great. Everyone was we were all excited, but we were all anxious, too, because we weren't expecting this to happen and it was happening before our eyes. And in some ways it was surreal. And and, and even looking back on it now, you know, these few years later, I still think of those games and I think of how surreal it was heading into the postseason. And then of course they lose the first two games to the Texas Rangers Mm -hmm. in the Rogers center and then have to go back to Texas to play two games. And then, you know, they won those. And of course, one of the most memorable games well, one of the most memorable innings that I've ever seen, <laughs> right? Yeah. And it was just, it was incredible. You know, it was the highlight of my career, which, you know, started in 92 when I was just <laughs> starting out in the business. And I was just, you know, a little cub reporter going around, you know, sticking a microphone into, uh, you know, the scrums with the other reporters. And I never, you know, you know, I still was watching a bit from afar those first, you know, those two World Series years. Yeah. And then, you know, I started covering the team on a, on a pretty regular basis in 94. So, you know, I got the strike year and then all those bad years afterwards. But here's the thing, and I think this is where fans have to understand. The difference between the time that passed from the 93 World Series to the Blue Jays making it in 2015, the difference between that and what we're seeing now is the Jays never did a complete rebuild right. and tear down after the 93 season. All they kept doing was kept putting Band-Aids on it. And it's like, okay, we're going to sign A.J. Burnett. That's going to be the key, you know. And we're going to make this trade, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do that. And they always had, you know, we're going to get Roger Clemens on this team. And, you know, (laughs) they had a few big stars along the way. Jose Canseco was with the team for a while, right? But all it did was it just kept them with their heads above water. They never had enough or did enough to make them a real true contender. So this is why it lasted for so long. You know, and then, you know, you finally build the team up, you get into the postseason, and then you have to look and say, well, where is this team now? And if they had kept that 2015 team intact, and most of it was intact for 2016, don't forget, yeah. it was, you were still looking at Donaldson and Bautista and Edwin and Russell Martin and Tulo. These guys were all there, and you could already start to see 
you know, Jose was getting hurt a lot. Tulowitzki was getting hurt a lot. Russell was nowhere near what he once was. Mark mm -hmm. Burley was coming to the end. Ari Dickey was coming to the end. So something had to happen. So you either put another Band-Aid on it and coast and go another 20-some-odd years before you make the playoffs, or you rip the Band-Aid off completely. You go through three, four, five years of absolute misery, but then you get back in and you build a team that can be good for many years. It's really hard to think about while it's happening, but when you analyze it, this is the right way to do it. Right, and I mean, you compare it to some other teams, even in our division, with the way Baltimore's rebuild or lack thereof has gone so far, and the Jays oh, yeah, that they're coming they're out doing it right. far ahead. I mean, yeah, Baltimore's <laughs> just oh, if you think things are bad in Toronto, but I like to compare it to Houston. Right, and you know, and it brings you back to the pitching because you think of the starting rotation for the Houston Astros. How many of them are homegrown products? Zero, I don't think any no, of their rotation think, yeah. is. Right. And you look at, you know, teams like the Yankees. Well, their pitching staff's been pretty bad most of the year. But <laughs> the bottom line is the, the teams that have those top pitching staffs are teams that go out and acquire pitching through free agency or trades. Right. If you can get one or two of your five starters, you know, to be homegrown and, and really contribute, then you're doing really well. That's what the Dodgers have done with uh, Kershaw and Bueller. Yes. So and look at them—they keep losing the World Series every year. So it mustn't be mustn't <laughs> well, be working yet. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Well, it's 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 been a pleasure, Barry, uh, having you on. Um, usually, when we have a guest on at the end here, we'll uh, we'll give you the floor if you have anything that you want to plug the podcast, the band, radio, whatever you want to do. The mic is yeah, yours. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the podcast uh, you can pick up on our website nsrmedia.ca, and uh, you know. If it's a Blue Jay, former Blue Jay, current Blue Jay, future Blue Jay, uh, we pretty much have them all on the show. Uh, most recently, uh, we've had uh, Jason Grilly on the show. Uh, nice. And over the next few weeks, we're hoping to hook up with TJ Zoic. Uh, quite possibly, Jose Reyes will be on the show. Wow. And yeah, I haven't heard from him in a long time. So I'm, uh, you got some feelers out to possibly get him on the show. And, uh, yeah, so it's it's a great, it's a lot of fun. We we delve into the human side of, of sports. So we're not talking about stats and uh, you know sabermetrics. We're talking about them as, as human beings and as people. So it's a kind of a different approach to things. And as far as the band goes, uh, if you know any uh, any places out your way, feel free to uh, send them our website, <laughs> weaintpetty.com. And you can check out our YouTube page or Facebook or Twitter, and uh, you can check out our videos and stuff there. Wicked. Well, yeah, it's been, yeah. It's been a pleasure. Uh, thanks for coming on. Hopefully we can do this again sometime. If you're ever looking for some guys to talk Blue Jay baseball, if you don't have any fancy players to have on your show, then you know where to find us. <laughs> hey, anytime, guys, and I'll be happy to come on whenever you want. Man. I'm so stoked that we actually got Barry on the show today. Um, a lot of people probably just think of it, think of the like we like our team Barry thing, and <laughs> I it was really hard not to not to say that during the interview. But it's kind of interesting how his podcast uh, is kind of in a lot of ways the complete opposite of ours because we love to talk about advanced statistics, right. very much so a sabermetric podcast while. Uh, he actually gets a chance to talk to the athletes and, as he said, the human side. Mm -hmm. That was kind of cool. Yeah, it's a neat perspective. I mean, yeah, like you said, we, uh, especially especially me, for the most part, love to get into the stats. Uh, it's it's definitely kind of, I guess, my 
my crutch and not being around the team before and having built those relationships like Barry had the opportunity to do, which is super cool. And uh, it's, it's nice to have that perspective. That's the beauty about the Blue Jays podcast universe is we have so many different shows. Um, there's, there's guys who record podcasts about the Jays that live in the States. And then there's guys like us who are on two ends of a country that has one baseball team. And then there's guys like Barry who are in the heart of it all. So it's, it's, it's really a unique uh, team to cover in terms of even us as total amateurs. Well, it's the, lar- well, I mean, I guess you could say it's the largest fan base out of all the MLB teams. If you look at the uh, like social media feeds and stuff like that, the Jays are top ten, like top ten in everything. Yeah. Uh, some of them they're top five. They're I think they're lower in the Facebook, but Facebook is a dead social media <laughs> team. But I mean, like in terms of like Instagram, Twitter, like Blue Jays Twitter is not only hilarious uh, and also very grumpy a lot of the time um it is it's massive yeah yeah it's uh it's definitely one of the larger followings even if you look at like blue jays fans like the blue jays uk twitter has a is like a top i think it's a top three or top five fan base out of uk baseball fans too so it's not just uh the canadian fan base that's um that's pretty ecstatic about following their team on the socials but all around the world too um yeah, it was it was great to talk to Barry. It seems like just yesterday he was doing the sideline reporting uh, for the Jays and 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 really giving us the uh, the inside scoop. But yeah, quite the quite the guy to have on. Hopefully we can get him on again. Um, you wanted to talk a little bit more about some recent minor league performances. Yeah, I think I think we have to. I mean, it's not often that a pitcher in our system throws a no hitter, um, but. Uh, we brought up TJ Zoik uh, today specifically in the interview with Barry because, I mean, he threw a no-hitter. And the best thing is, is we know how to say his name correctly now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, after fumbling through it. But, man, not only was that the first no-hitter for the Bisons in over 22 years, um, he did it throwing a ton of pitches. Yeah. Very few strikeouts. And uh, what did he have? One or two walks. He had a, a walk and a hit batter, but he's a he's a ground ball machine when he's at his best. And it's worth noting that that last Bison's no hitter was thrown by another than Big Sexy Bartolo Colon himself. I love it, <laughs> uh, and I think you were talking about it um, earlier off uh, off microphone. But the fact that just getting to the ninth and the uh, the second out <laughs> in the mm-hmm. uh, in the ninth. Um, did you get a chance to see it? Uh, the the out and um, who was who was the man who made the save? Yeah, so Jonathan Davis, as we all know, has spent some time back and forth at the big club over the past year and a half now. But yeah, sinking line drive to center field, a uh, pretty low catch probability just from the eye test watching the video. But he charged it, laid out, and was pretty pumped afterwards. There was probably some. Uh, some expletives that were that were yelled in the center field but he was he was pretty jazzed and rightfully so i mean it, it reminds me of a lot of that uh catch that Dwayne wise made when he robbed that home run to save mark burley's was it a perfect game or was it a no hitter i can't remember but yeah also in the ninth inning back then that's it's one of those memorable catches i mean especially for the people who were watching in buffalo um that team has been kind of up and down just based on the fact that their roster has been kind of tore apart by the, by the big club this season but it was definitely what it paid to be in that audience last night Hasn't Burley? Yeah, Burley has thrown both a no hitter and a perfect game. I didn't realize that. Yeah, I don't think 
are there many pitchers that have thrown both a no hitter and a perfect game? I don't. There's a think little so. trivia for our fans. They can <laughs> respond with a tweet uh, if they happen to know how many guys have done that, because mm-hmm. the number is absolutely single digits. I right. mean, it's only 18 perfect games of baseball, so. Yeah. But I mean, a, a perfect game is a no hitter. So I'm saying like a perfect game <laughs> and a no hitter, right? <laughs> so. I don't know. Somebody, somebody will look that up and tell us what happened. For sure. Uh, I think it, it was actually, it was Gabe Kapler who hit, it was against the Rays and it was Gabe Kapler who hit the deep fly ball to center field where uh, Dwayne Wise uh, jumped to take a home run away. And he's, it was the perfect game that that catch happened in. So Gabe Kapler, Philadelphia Phillies manager. <laughs> I, I thought I read somewhere, speaking of perfect games, is it true that Don Larson pitched his perfect game like on LSD or something like that? Or That's am I just a, making that shit up? That might be a, the rumor. I think that was what, like 1956 World Series, something like that. I'm just looking it up right yeah, now. It, yeah, it was. But I thought somewhere some there was like this urban legend that he did it all on, on LSD. <laughs> really? I mean, I'm not saying that he does LSD or whatever. I just, I don't know. For some reason, that sticks in my head like that was like a joke. Yeah, so I'm, I'm looking at this article right now. And, uh, yeah, in, in, it... tw- in 2010, he's it came out, I guess, that, that Larson revealed that he said he did it on LSD. <laughs> that is bananas to me, especially considering, I mean, I'm sure the drug rules were a lot more lax, but he did that. In the the World Series, yeah, <laughs> against the Brooklyn Dodgers, that was the that was the year that that was their last uh, year in Brooklyn, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, Maybe. it may have been. That'd be That's, around that time. You know, if the Dodgers still played in Brooklyn, I'd probably be more apt to cheer for them, just because Brooklyn is my kind of borough. But I'll never cheer for the Yankees. <laughs> You're a big New but York I, guy, hey? I, I will cheer for the Mets, though, because I like Queens. That's enough about New York teams. Let's just talk about Zoic. I mean, he brought his ERA down by more than a run, which makes me think that he hasn't really had a chance to pitch uh, all too much uh, in AAA. But where are we at as far as, like, what's his ETA? Is it next year or is it 2021? Well, I remember he was also uh, had that lat strain at the start of uh, or the middle of spring training as well. That kind of limited his his start to the year. Like he's only pitched, um, including his two rehab starts in Dunedin, he's only pitched uh, seventy six innings this year. Uh, but I mean, his his ETA according to Fangraphs was twenty nineteen. So wouldn't be surprised if him and uh, Anthony K are two of the guys who get a shot here in September. I mean, Zoik is. Uh, He's kind of similar to Stroman in the fact that he gets a lot of ground balls and doesn't strike out a ton of batters. Like he's his career ground ball rate is somewhere between like 57 and 60 percent, which is very high. And over the past couple of seasons, he's done a pretty good job of limiting home runs. So hopefully that can continue. Um, but we'll see what happens when he gets the call up. But he, it it probably will be him who gets a chance, um, just based on the fact that he hasn't pitched a ton. So the Jays might want to get him some work in and see kind of what he can do he might be a guy who competes for that number five rotation spot out of spring training along with k um 
I'm I'm a little bit surprised, kind of talking about Nate Pearson now that that they did promote him to Triple A. I thought they would really just keep him in Double A for the rest of the season. But I mean, with with the amount of success he was having, he was demolishing the Eastern League. So I guess it does seem smart to move him to Triple A, put him against the best competition that he can face in the minor leagues, and maybe sometime early in 2020 we might see Nate Pearson in a Blue Jays uniform. Is that something that you could see happening yeah the more i think about it yeah i think he got everything he could out of uh double a even though his win-loss record is very extremely deceiving he was only one in four yeah despite but... having started 16 games but he had absolutely dominated they didn't score the any fisher runs. Cats aren't very... <laughs> yeah <laughs> the fisher cats aren't very good this year because they just got gutted <laughs> um but the fact that he can run a 103 mile an hour heater something like that yeah um yeah this guy is the 14th uh ranked prospect in all of baseball Mm -hmm. and there are one two pitchers ahead of him yep casey mize of detroit and then mackenzie gore of uh san diego and both those guys are probably going to get called up sooner than later as well right and then i mean think of uh bo bichette being off of our prospect list soon too nate will be our number one prospect yeah, so Nate's going to see a bump because Bo's going to come off the list, and if everybody moves up one, at the very least, he'll be 13, obviously, but I think... He'll be a top 10 prospect in the offseason at some point. I, he'll probably be a top 10 prospect before the end of this season, and I, I doubt he'll see any time this year uh, with the team. I, it wouldn't make any sense to do it, especially when they're trying to just ease him back into it yeah. after injury. Um, but he had a hell of a start in Buffalo uh, a couple days ago. For sure. Actually, yeah. yes, it was yesterday, yeah. It was yesterday, yeah, his 23rd birthday. That's wild to me. Like, he's <laughs> only 23, and he can throw 103-mile-an-hour heat. And he missed the whole season, too, right? <laughs> My God, I just, I, just hope, I just hope his arm can hold up. Well, he can actually come into MLB and do that. Because yeah. imagine, yeah, like, I know he's... He, angling to be a starter but can you imagine if nate pearson was going out there throwing 103 mile an hour fastballs in the ninth inning that you can't hit off that no that's like you're all just chapman <laughs> yeah it, he would be like Ch- chapman except i think he's a bit taller than chapman and hopefully he doesn't um, beat women well Oof. <laughs> spicy take right there i'm not i don't want to comment on what chapman yeah, did or didn't do because uh, I, I haven't read about it but yeah i mean by all accounts, Nate um, has shown a tremendous amount of perseverance this season. Yeah. And uh, I totally am psyched to see Nate uh, come up with the Jays. I think he'll be a September call-up in 2020, maybe earlier. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, if he's already in Buffalo, he's pitched. He's going to pitch over 100 innings this season for the first time in his in his minor league career. Uh, yeah. Previous high in minor leagues was in 2017 when he threw 20 innings <laughs> so obviously he got hit in the hit in the hand or the arm with a line drive comeback or that ended his 2018 season after only an inning in two thirds but yeah he, he pitched 21 21 innings in uh dunedin where he was three and oh then he moved up to new hampshire where he threw 62 and two thirds innings with a 259 era and his xfip there was only 314 and now he's up in buffalo so he's he's out he's just crossed the 90 uh or he's almost at the 90 innings threshold now so we'll really see uh, how if he can get to like 120 innings, that would be super ideal for this season. Then you you build him up next year to the point where 
he could probably come up to the bigs and throw 150 innings and all said and done next season before they have to shut him down. Yeah, I just honestly, like, I'm okay with them taking their time with him. 103-mile-an-hour fastball is not something that comes around. <laughs> he's a 75-tool fastball and yeah, a 60-tool slider. He's so he's beast. got one one mega pitch, a plus pitch. His curveball is 55. His changeup is 50. So he has four, technically, it's four plus pitches. Yep. But his control is a bit, yeah. This could be a <laughs> but, guy that's similar to, like, kind of the trajectory that Steven Strasburg took where he might struggle his first couple of years, maybe staying healthy, but Strasburg has been really good this year. And Pearson kind of has a similar profile with, with the hard throwing right-hander. It's hard for me to give credit to the, the Washington nationals because it's weird to me because I still miss the expos and all that. But Steven Strasburg and Max Scherzer are like, the best one-two combo in the universe for baseball. I, lo- I love watching both of them pitch. Yeah. I love watching Max Scherzer pitch. I think he's, he's a machine. An absolute, yeah, he's a, he's a maestro. Yeah. But, I mean, Strasburg has been tremendous this year. I'd yeah. be shocked if he didn't win the Cy Young. Actually, there's my spicy take for the episode. Even Strasburg for NL Cy Young. The NL Cy Young race is going to be very competitive. I mean, you've got yeah. uh, Ryu in, in LA who's having a masterful season. He's on the IL right now, but I think that's more of like a, a Kawhi Leonard load management tactic um, where they're just trying to preserve him a little bit more for the stretch run. Um, since yeah. they're up in their division by like a bazillion games, they're not really worried about losing the division. And then you I have think... a guy like, like obviously Scherzer's been really good too. Yeah. <laughs> They're imagine being the Nationals and being having that embarrassment of riches. But yeah, that that being said, I don't want to. Uh, yeah, I so I'm going to stick with what I said about Strasburg. I think Ryu being on the IL, depending on how long he's there, mm-hmm. I, I think it. I think that's going to affect his uh, his Cy Young bid. Yeah, we're gonna have to do a an episode on the award races here or a little segment sometime soon because we're getting once we hit September, we'll have a pretty good idea of who the front runners are. So watch that awards episode coming to you soon. With that being said, it's about time to sign off this episode of BFMD season two, episode thirty, for Patrick Marsh and a sick Clayton Croker. I'm Justin Anderson, sending you off with a song from Barry Davis's band We Ain't Petty singing Tom Petty's
in that realm. Yeah, I won't.